This is Edge Cases, a podcast about mostly Apple-related software development, error handling, code editors, compilers, and not, for example, coffee. It's co-hosted by me, I'm Andrew Pontius. And I'm Will French. This is episode 21. It's Friday, October 5th, 2012. And what's our topic this week, Wolf? Data encoding. Data encoding. All righty. And there is no, I don't believe there's any follow-up or any other things that we need to talk about. Anything you want to go into before we get started? There is follow-up, but I need to do a little bit more homework before I address it. So okay. I think we'll just pretend like there isn't any right now. Well, and we'll, uh, we'll give our readers uh, some a heads up then. Yeah. This is something for them to look forward to. Uh, next episode, or possibly the episode after that. A veritable cliffhanger. A veritable cliffhanger. Okay, so take it away. Okay, so um, I don't know, Andrew, if you saw my tweet, I guess, wow, it was um, yesterday, um, about uh, I uh, shipped an open source project uh, data format called Lich. Yes, I did see that. So I'd like to talk a little bit about kind of the reason why it exists and kind of like the history of data codings and and uh, the trade-offs thereof. That sounds good. So this will have nothing to do with uh, D&D, I take it? Yeah, yeah. So apparently I've outed myself as a non-D&Der. <laughs> that, um, so did you know what Lich was from your, from your, uh, your battle days? Your well, from, youth? For, in D&D, right, it's, it's a monster. It's an undead creature fairly high level actually that you know you didn't really want to be taking on a, a lich uh when you were sort of first level you wanted to sort of build up a little bit before you came to that uh first level was like skeletons and zombies and things and witches were sort of more potent enemies wow okay so, so that's what i know yes apparently i picked right okay it's a high level beastie yes okay speaking of high level beasties we can talk about c so the uh, standard way to do, um, I wouldn't say the standard way, but the, the, probably the lowest level way that people actually like when the, when the, I was going to say when the bits hit the platter, but I don't know. Now it's just kind of like moves from one memory chip to, to the next with SSDs. But um, is you have these uh, C structs where you kind of lay out your data format and then you just kind of, you just say, here's, here's a pointer to the data, go write it out. And have you ever had to do like, like defining file formats as C structures and header files, Andrew? Uh, I believe I have had to do that um, a long time ago, though, certainly before I did any Cocoa development, so C, C++ development. Yeah, it's definitely more common in the C and C++ worlds. Um, and it's, it has, it's all sorts of badness. Um, C, the C structure <laughs> format is just like enough to make you think you, you can do it fairly well, but it's actually the language itself... Uh, doesn't give you enough control. Oh yeah, yeah. So, there's so many ways to screw yourself over if you try to write that stuff out directly. Right, like you have alignment issues and you have yep. uh, structured packing issues, so you have to uh, pretty much deal with those with um, uh, uh, compiler-specific pragmas. Right, or just not, or just not write the thing out directly. Write it out. Put together your own commands. Oh, to right, write right. out the data right. and then put them back in. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you have Indian issues that you have to deal with explicitly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there, like, there's like these old school Unix uh, byte flippers, like H2S and H2L for stands for host too long. But personally, I'm a big fan of uh, Core Indian that kind of spells out all the types for you. Mm-hmm. But sure. And but um, you, you know that's kind of like the C and C plus plus days, as you mentioned. Um, I would say probably most Cocoa programmers 
are um, more used to the NS coding stuff, which I, I think we briefly mentioned in a previous episode. Uh, sure, they they provide a way to write things out um, in a way that Cuckoo can read it out, write it out, and read it in in ways that you don't have to worry about, but which then are are fairly specifically tied to to Coco and even to um, uh, well, I guess not necessarily to to specific ver- well, certainly specific versions of your classes, uh, not not your specific classes, not versions of your classes, but right. specific classes, so that if you were to say take your data model and, and refactor it so that it had completely different classes that still held the same information, you'd have trouble reading in old information. Right. You pretty much would have to like keep around those old classes just for the purpose to get those into memory so then you could migrate them over. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, the old NS coding stuff was all like order-based. So you like would start writing out your IVARs and it wouldn't, I think it would like tag the type, but it would, you basically were streaming out array of data. But uh, the newer stuff, you you um, write out by key, so you can have out of order stuff. But all of it is pretty bad um, because it's, you know, it's, you know, it's code you have to write by hand, and also it's um, the binary is it goes into this binary format that you don't control. And you know Apple's been pretty good about it. And, uh, obviously, they're doing the Indian stuff there for you. And when we jumped from um, I don't know how old the stuff is, but I'm pretty sure it originally had SKK devices, which were big Indian. Then, obviously, it jumped to PowerPC, which, of course, was also big Indian. And then jumped to x86, which is little Indian, and and um, everything that's just worked. So they that's handle, a good point. Yeah. yeah, they handle all the Indian issues there for you. Um, but it, it it is tedious and not, not ideal. And uh, oh, I think probably the best thing about it is that I, I believe it handles object cycles. Yes, it handles reference objects referencing other objects, which reference the first object or third set of objects. Yes. Yeah, and that's yes. actually kind of unfortunately common, and will often throw a lot of data formats for loop. But, I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, nowadays, um, nowadays we're pretty much just uh, using core data, and uh, that's much better. You can mo- model it into your nice little GUI editor, and it's going to write all that bad old co- code f- to stream out to XML. Or binary plist or SQLite. Yep. So that's and so those bad old days are behind us. But eventually, you know, the bits have to hit the disk or the SSD chips. And so, um, if so, I like to talk a little bit about what these what the binary formats are themselves once you are in the files themselves. So, um, like for example, if you're using Core Data and you're writing to SQLite, I, I mean, eventually SQLite has to format those bits and put them put them on uh, the disk. So I would say I probably first kind of like I, I don't know if I, I first saw, but it, but I remember reading the uh, QuickTime file format a structure. And um, it, Andrew, are you familiar with that? Sort of familiar. Uh, the Atom Atom based format, right? Right. It's it's, uh, it's Sort of atoms all the way down. You can have uh, relative. Yeah, not if it's deep, but certainly a uh, QuickTime is a container format, if I'm remembering correctly. Right. So it can hold a lot of other things, and even things you define yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's meant to be pretty flexible. Yeah. If uh, going off the top of my head here, um, I believe it pretty much was like you had uh, like. Th- 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 uh, 32 bits set aside for a length of a, of a block, and then another 32 bits to declare what type of type of block that is, and um, they have this kind of array of those. And if you knew the if you knew that atom, 
that format, if you knew what like had other atoms inside it, then you could read that that block of data. And um, what's great about it is that it if you a lot of these textual formats, like if you have you know a picture of someone, that's raw pixel data. And so if you want to put that into uh, something you can read in a text editor that obviously won't fly because most text editors kind of fall over at that point or at least display garbage that's, that's un- incomprehensible because some of those might be like backspace commands or or other gobbledygook or it might try to parse as UTF-16 or something. And so it's um, so you always pretty much have to either encode or escape or usually both the uh, binary data if you want to put it into textual file format. So these are so QuickTime is a, is a binary file format. And if you actually ever had to like kind of write a QuickTime parser, in theory it's pretty easy because it's like you read the you read the first four bytes, you're like okay, that I know how long the rest of it is, and I forget whether the atom comes the the type comes first or the the length, but the idea is the same. It's like you eight you read eight bytes and then you know how to read the rest of it. And if you know the atom type, then you can go a level deeper and level level deeper. And that that actually is um, part of the problem with QuickTime is that it kind of hinges on this idea that uh, of known atom types that you have to understand what it, whether this the atom you're looking at is actually made of subatoms and usually they are and I've actually written code that uh, uses heuristics that you know it will look at the the payload and try to figure out whether there are atoms inside of it because uh, Apple does have undocumented stuff that it likes to put in its QuickTime. Uh, containers, so that was, um, and I had to reproduce that. So I had to kind wow. of take guesses at what what type of things were going on there. But um, and this seems to actually be a uh, pretty popular thing. I first ran upon this idea of having you know kind of the, the typed length blocks when I was when I think it was like a Dr. Dobbs article from like 1992 or something. <laughs> but apparently, it's actually pretty common. It's um, like audio interchange file format, uh, TIFF, tagged image file format, ping. These are all kind of chunky formats that have the idea of the, like you have a length and then you have the block of data, then you have a length and a block of data. And um, that's why you can like put things like uh, EXIF data in JPEGs. I think JPEG has, a, has the same structure, although I'm not sure about that. But I definitely know that TIFF and AIF is uh, kind of like these – is if it ends in IFF, IFF, it's kind of tends to be interchange file format and tends to be kind of structured that way. So mostly, I so would diff. Oh, <laughs> see, I knew you were to come up with something, <laughs> not diff. Um, so Darn. I would actually consider this format a win. It's uh, really efficient, and it's been proven it's been proven in a in a various use cases from audio to motion to to the still images to um, motion video. It's pretty great. Um, then, then um, if you're going on the complexity side of things, you have things like ASN1. Have you heard about this, Andrew? ASN1. Uh, vaguely familiar, but not a fan. <laughs> vaguely familiar, but not a fan. Not, not offhand. Oh, sorry, I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I thought you I'm sure I've heard the, I think I've heard the, the letters. <laughs> when in doubt, don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Yeah, so um, the idea behind uh, ASN1 is that uh, I mentioned, like, um, so the QuickTime file format has, like, those four bytes up front that kind of tells you how big the the block is, the next block, and or the next chunk, or whatever you want to call it. And the problem is, like, well, you're, you know, how many blocks are really going to be four gigabytes long? A lot of those are probably going to be shorter, and but maybe you have, maybe you're putting... 
a hard drive image into one of these these uh, chunks, and that's going to be larger than what you can represent there. And so um, there's this idea where it's like, okay, the first byte can represent you know something that's 128 bytes long, but if you have that the the upper bit flipped, that means the length isn't done yet, and you need to like look at the next byte. And and so basically, you flip the high bit when the first byte is not long enough to represent the length of the block, and then you can read the second byte. If that bit is flipped, then you know it's going to need to be the length needs to be three bits, uh, three bytes long. And you just keep on doing that. I'm, and obviously, there's some probably some upper limit there, but um, in that way, you can pretty flexibly re- represent uh, arbitrary data sizes, and it ends up. Uh, you do do have to like read them in and shift the bits around, or to figure out what the real size is, and um, so that's that's not not uh, fun to do and do right. But uh, the point is, it's a flexible format, and so this is one of the concepts of ASN. And if you if you're an Apple developer and you have anything in the App Store, then you indirectly have uh, worked with ASN because uh, ASN that one is the format for the PEM privacy enhanced mail uh, crypto certificates that you use for when you do uh, when you do a little developer ID certificate dance. That this is the format that's used for uh, representing uh, basically uh, crypto certificates, uh, digital certificates. Okay. Yeah. So um, it, it's not just like this extensible kind of block size type thing. But it also goes into great detail in terms of uh, each block is uh, tagged with a certain type. So QuickTime like file formats and A f- formats and those tend to be kind of coarse, and that's like here's a big chunk of waveform or here's a, a chunk of image data. But um, ASN dot one is seems to be more like kind of a structure field level that can really kind of go go deep into your structures and represent them in a special way. And uh, actually, one of the concerns there is a so-called canonicalization. And uh, are you aware of the issue here, Andrew? Canonicalization yeah. of data? Yeah. In data formats? Um, I haven't heard of the term. Uh, I haven't actually uh, heard of the term uh, specifically, but I would assume it, has, it probably has something to do with the fact that if, if according to your uh, formal definition, uh, the the bits could still be set up in different ways and still satisfy that definition. That that can lead to problems. And that's pretty much exactly it. I mean, um, if you like, if you, for example, if you consider like HTML document, and you wanted to do a digital signature on it, and then you know HTML is totally uh, ignores white space, right? So this is your way to basically infinitely mutate and so you know you're looking at a, a web document in the uh in your web browser and and you have a hash of it and but it has white space in there so that means i can insert uh extra spaces or remove them i can maybe add tabs or returns in there i can go through a lot of mutation cycles there and visually to you the web uh web page will look exactly the same so this is a contract what i can do is that this gives basically gives me a canvas to try to do a uh chosen plain text against you where i think that's the right thing but anyway the point is it's an attack against where i can create a document that that looks the same to you but it hashes the same thing but actually says something different so the um so the 
ASN is, I don't think it's part of it. I think it's an extension to it. There's a lot of layers here, and that's actually one of the big problems with ASN.1 is that it's, if you let's do to say, okay, show me what the bits on the wire look like, you have to dig through an amazing amount of crap in order to thus get to the point where you can figure out what the bits look, should look like on the wire because there's so many layers of crypto on it that, and also for some reason, this really seems tied up in crypto itself. So it, it's, it's um, not widely used as a kind of a, a file, uh, file format on, on its own, which is too bad. It has a lot of good ideas in it. But it does basically. So uh, if you have a bunch of fields, um, the kind of the you basically need to canonicalize it, where it uh, you put them in the order that they should be. Maybe you sort the keys or whatever, and uh, that way the for a given idea of data, a given structure of data, the bits on the wire are always the same, so they always will hash the same way. So when you're signing it, you know you're signing it that exact bit, bit stream. So that's that's long story short, it's all about bits on the wire. Okay. And then, of course, we have the um, – um, oh, actually, I should mention there's this a really uh, cute hack, speaking of um, hash attacks, that, uh, of course, the problem with um, git commits is that they're all based on hashes. And I saw this one project. I have to – I don't remember the name offhand, but what it would do is that um, – you know, coming from like a subversion uh, background, you're used to ha- like having these nice little, um, you know, revision one, revision two, revision three. Each commit increments the current revision by one. And it's very straightforward, yep. and, it's, and it's great for t- talking to clients. Like, oh, that was re- revision 110. Yeah, we're on 112 now. It's very comprehensible. But um, of course, with Git hashes, it's like, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a SHA one of this commit. This so you're, you know, it, it has to be these random digits at the end, or does it? It uh, so this this uh, one tool would actually would flip some bits in your commit randomly, and then it would uh, I think it's the last three hex digits or something, or maybe might be last four or something, but it would just randomly permute it until it could it would figure out how many how many commits were in the repo, it would figure out what the next revision number should be, and then it would mutate the commit until the last hex digit would read the right amount. That's insane. <laughs> And it, it so it could be you know you know it it could seem to take arbitrary amounts of time, but this thing comes back pretty quickly. Um, yeah, so it's it's so it's a, a good example of kind of like using hash attacks, uh, collision attacks in the, in the wild for good and not for evil. Although sure. whether you could call it good, I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> But, um, oh, so, Andrew, have you had uh, much experience with the old ASCII-style plists? Some. Uh, you know, just using it back when, you know, for example, they hadn't yet invented, well, had they not invented the XML format by the what, time I started using it? Where Do you go back to the next days or no? No, no, I don't. I definitely only once Apple bought it and once OS X came out. But I think you could still use the old format under certain conditions if you wanted to. Uh, I think to this day you still can use the old format. Well, yeah, but nobody does. Right. Or, except maybe you. <laughs> well, let me tell you, I was, I, I, I think that's one of the things that Next got incredibly right was the, and the plist stuff. Uh, plist is, stands for property list, and it was a Next format. And, um, <clears throat> it, and uh, it's, it's really cool because, like, you know, C programmers were already used to kind of like square brackets meaning arrays of things and curly braces meaning uh, structures of things. And um, and uh, Next leveraged that to develop this ASCII file format. 
And that, by the way, was this downfall. It was an ASCII format and couldn't really handle with UTF-8 or anything. Although, I think it could binary code. I mean, uh, like, it has some sort of like hexencoding thing. But anyway. Um, and it was really straightforward. In fact, you know, you kind of look at uh, JSON and you kind of wish it were more, more plisty. Because JSON, um, like, the plist format was pretty nice. Like, the, the keys, unless they had a space in them or something else that was kind of weird, or maybe a dash, or maybe, I don't even know what the rules are, but it would, basically, the, the keys would not need to be quoted a, unless it had, unless it looked ambiguous, and then it would automatically quote them for you. Um, it had, I think it had direct support for dates, which is something that JSON still lacks. Uh, there's so many bad workarounds for the fact that JSON can't directly encode dates. Yeah. Uh, have you had to tangle with this? Uh, no, no, I haven't. Oh, yeah. it's, it's terrible. Um, of course, JSON is like, everything is, um, all the numbers are assumed to be doubles. Uh, I think, well, actually, I'll take that back. I was going to say that uh, the plist stuff I was more fine grained that by the, but that's actually the uh, the XML plist, not the ASCII plist. But ASCII plists were totally like human readable, human writable. Um, worked really great with the machines. And man, I, I to this day I wish Apple just kind of like UTF aided them, and, and kind of just kind of uh, made that format a little better. But unfortunately, with the invention of Mac OS X, they they moved to an XML file format. Yes, and n- uh, there are some benefits. Um, <clears throat> you can represent things in the XML. You cannot represent in uh, in the ASCII. Of course, you have the, you know the escaping issues, all that. But also, like um, just like representing Boolean values, I'm th- pretty sure those boil down to one and zero um, in the ASCII list. Although maybe they went to yes and no, but I think they boil down to like NS values. With, with us coded with one and zero, so you'd actually lose information if you went through the ASCII P list, where that information is retained if you go through the XML P list. But Apple's spoken; all the XML uh, P list stuff is built in standard now, so it's it's uh, it's not really your choice. And well, and it came it came about I think at a time when XML was extremely trendy. Oh yeah, and you know that it, you really got the feeling that that was at least part of it. That they said, well, we're trying to get our OS to be something that lots of people adopt. And so we're just going to take on as many quote-unquote standard things as we can so people don't think we're quite so weird, you know. They don't think we, you know, we wear the beanie and, and the thick glasses and stuff. No, no, we're actually popular. That's sort of where that, you know, it's kind of the whole Java. Oh, that was, that was the next thing I was going to say. Yeah, the Java yeah. thing was very much along the same lines. Like, low look, yeah. you can write in Java. And, and do, you, do you remember uh, what the time frame was when they had, what was the name? It was the, the it was uh, using the dot notation for message sends, the alternative syntax. Oh, yeah, that was the that was the Java. Yeah, that was yeah. I mean, it was was it wasn't called the Java syntax, right? No. It was called like uh, modern. I think it was like some yeah. sort of <laughs> something like modern. I'm <laughs> sure we can look it up. But yeah, that was. I don't remember exactly when that was, but yeah, I would assume that was around the same time. I mean, they were really pushing Java. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Probably the first couple of years that OS X was out, so that what, like 2001, mm-hmm. 2002, but I'd have to look it up. Okay. Yeah, that was uh, met with a considerable backlash <laughs> from developers, which I'm. If, uh, if only they knew. <laughs> if uh, what, Are you basically making a, a property notation reference there? Or? I believe I am. Yes. Okay, whoa, don't go there. We already did cover tabs versus spaces. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, anyway. 
yeah, getting a little derailed here, so go on. Okay, so uh, back to data formats. Um, so big thumbs up for ASCII plus. I thought they were it made a lot of sense. They're highly readable, and basically they're 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 essentially JSON plus plus. But unfortunately, they died with XML format. So JSON is JSON, um, really good exchange format, but has significant weaknesses. Um, <clears throat> have you um, heard of uh, B encode? B encode. <laughs> One of these days, I'm going to be a- be able to answer these questions. No, I don't believe I have. Yes, uh, B encode is the uh, file format used um, by BitTorrent, and, oh, mm-hmm. and it is um, this really interesting uh, kind of hybrid between a binary file format and a, uh, a and a textual format. So. <clears throat> I, I mentioned how ASN, ASN.1 has this idea where it's like you you read the first byte and you, you check the high bit. If 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 it's set, then there's more more length bytes to read. But this is all encoded in direct binary, so you have to kind of build up your bits and kind of uh, and or them together and make a coherent length length. Uh, let's say a 32 bit long out of that in order to figure it out. Well. Um, the kind of the key insight to things like B encode is that hey, we can re- represent these lengths as this plain old ASCII digits. So uh, if you if you and if the block or the chunk is nine bytes long, we just can put an ASCII nine in there. And the benefit of that is that obviously it's human readable directly. There's an ASCII, there's a freaking ASCII nine in there, <laughs> so you don't have to you know when you have it open your hex editor, you don't have to go to the look at the hex representation. And I guess nine is nine <laughs> in hex two, but um, you don't have to do the hex conversion in your head if it goes beyond nine. But and um, the downside is that it obviously holds less information per per byte. And you have to have some sort of delimiter where you, because you don't you, you don't know when the um, when the length is over. So, uh, B encode is actually kind of a, a riff on uh, Daniel Bernstein's net strings. So net strings it was used by his QMail program. I, was, I guess still is used by his QMail program. So it's uh, basically uh, represent the length in ASCII digits. Put a colon there. Put your binary blob, and then. Uh, he actually put a comma at the end, if that's for like visual separation. And B encode does things that are similar. Uh, B encode gives you a little bit more structural typing. And so I was, uh, I need to cram a good amount of data into a UDP packet. And don't ask me why. I can't talk about it yet. But uh, so initially I was going with JSON, but unfortunately most of my payload actually tends to be binary. So. Um, I was going to go with B encode, but then I looked at it and I decided that the delimiters they chose were, they could be enhanced. So um, kind of playing along the lines of, you know, so you know I like um, JSON and to a greater extent the ASCII plus. I decided that these delimiters instead could actually kind of represent the containment hierarchy. And so Lich is all about the idea, basically taking the idea of um, net strings or B encode, and uh, making um, making those a- those data atoms put the angle brackets on there that, that are like HTML tags, making arrays put them in square brackets, and putting dictionaries in curly brackets. And the benefit for that is that uh, when you open pop it open in a text editor, you're still probably going to get gobbledygook, but at least you can double click 
on one of the braces, and you have a good chance. Oh, granted, it's binary data, so if someone put another you know, C file on there, you'd be screwed. But you have a good chance that it will find the matching brace, and you can basically uh, pick it apart, even in a text editor, but, uh, and you don't have to resort to counting bytes all that much. Well, if it's a binary format, how do you escape braces in the middle? Oh, you don't. You see, it, it. Yeah, the, oh. Because the length is represented as ASCII digits, and you know you can always skip ahead. Oh, uh, right. Duh. Yeah, sure. No, that makes <laughs> sense. Yeah. So it's it's a pretty simple, although I included a Cocoa impl- implementation of uh, Lich in my uh, – I'm writing a Cocoa app, so I've included that implementation in my announcement. Um, it's maybe a little bit more involved than you think because I actually went through the the trouble of writing a real tokenizer instead of doing something like a recursive descent parser that this would <laughs> allocate as much many bytes as you say you should allocate, which um, this, w- this is kind of a standard um, buffer overflow attack. Right. It, because um, in my specification, I say that you can have up to 20 digits uh, to represent the length of things. So the the uh, bad idea to do that is this is how the buffer overflow works is that you blindly take length the lengths that people give you you try to malloc them you run out of address space and you de and and you basically almost immediately crash but the but there's a chunk of data left on the stack as you're unwinding or it's in the heap or at a known location or whatever and you end up executing the data that was uh, given to you in uh, as as code so that's standard, and then you can put your shell code in there that eventually creates a reverse socket to you and all that. But so you definitely so want you, wait, yeah, you, you don't want your format to be a an easy attack vector. Yeah, yeah. call me old fashioned if, if you insist. Sure. <laughs> and this was actually my uh, first foray into fuzzing. Uh, have you? Oh, that's right. Yeah, you did tweet about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I have to say, I was a little bit disappointed. I I didn't find anything. Maybe I, just, I didn't fuzz hard enough, or <laughs> it's quite possible I just don't really know what I'm doing. You had just have to fuzz harder, Wolf. <laughs> fuzz hard. <laughs> is that the latest Bruce Willis film? I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> when it's so it's fuzz, right? It's not futz. It is right, fuzz. Right. Fuzz. Right. F U Z Z. And um, yeah, hot, supposedly hot fuzz. Yeah, if you <laughs> there you go. If you uh, go to uh, man, I'm okay. Got to look at this. What's uh, I don't even know if I can pronounce this thing. Rad, rad, amsa. <laughs> but uh, if you R A D A M S A, and if you um, Google that and kind of look at the uh, there's a, like a quick start guide, and <laughs> if you go. Go to the bottom of that. It basically lists uh, a bunch of uh, CVEs from Apple. Like this is all the CVEs we found from from uh, Apple software by run, running this fuzzer against them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so fuzzing is a very effective low technique uh, for finding this stuff. Oh, I guess I should actually probably define fuzzing while we're talking about it. Um, fuzzing is the uh, is the point uh, is the uh, a process of taking usually often you start out with like valid data. And you run a program on it that will mutate it in one or two ways, making it invalid. And then you feed this invalid data to the program, either locally, you know, local execution. Often it's also done over like HTTP remotely. And uh, you're just basically trying to just crash the program and with bad data. And when, once you have a, once the program, once you detect a failure, you've, you've had that 
that incorrect string, as it were, that you know causes a failure, now you've totally narrowed down what you need to do. You can start making guesses of how it's failing, and that's when you start crafting your payload, your shell code, that you could put into the data stream so that as the program crashes, it starts executing the data you gave it. My God, Wolf, don't don't publicize it. Oh, no. You know, now it, everybody knows. I should have done the MacGyver thing and left out a, a key step. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Well, so now, wait, so now we're both were, Darn. You were MacGyver, you were Bruce Willis, <laughs> now you were... Yeah. I, yeah, that was... Do you remember reading the... Uh, I mean, for, first off, I'm just, just assuming you're a MacGyver fan. <laughs> well, actually, I never actually watched the show. What? Yeah. Oh, before your time, okay. <laughs> well. Sure, it, we'll, we'll, we'll call it that. <laughs> I think actually probably you're you viewed it as too dorky, so I did not have that problem. <laughs> but but uh, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm leading us into all sorts of digressions at this point. Sorry, uh, keep going. But yes, let me continue on my 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 MacGyver <laughs> insights. <laughs> That's it's very our important. Dark. Get these insights recorded. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but um, it's. It's uh, like there'd be. I remember reading this article. I think it was like in Discover Magazine or something. And it's uh, you know whether it's whether the things MacGyver does on TV whether that's true. It's like well, could you actually stop an acid leak with the with the candy bar because of the the it's a milk chocolate candy bar? Like no, it turns out you need two tons of of milk chocolate to stop that acid leak. <laughs> but on the other hand, I bet MacGyver would have been a big fan of fuzzing. <laughs> there you go. Well, he had that, you know, he had the, um, I, I don't want to call it a mullet, but, you know, kind of looking back, you know, he had, definitely had the, the, you know, business in front party in the back going on. <laughs> anyway, we've gone from fuzzing to mullets. <laughs> so I think we've definitely scratched the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> so my, my topic is officially done. <laughs> Wait, really? Really? I, I have nothing more to say. <laughs> you have a lot more to say, but it's just all about MacGyver. <laughs> That's sadly um, true. Wait, so all right, so this this so you made a format for a reason which you are not fully going to tell us about yet. It's it's it, right. If, yeah, if I go through the uh, checklist, uh, this you know this look at the pages site, but you know it's, the entire idea is that it's general and that it could represent arbitrary data uh, is simple and that the file format the is it basically is a common syntax across all the elements. Um, it's binary, so it's so can you can throw any data in there efficiently, right? And, and um, the the um, I guess uh, unfortunately you know, I quit my web browser here, so we won't have audio issues. But I probably should actually bring this up. HTTP. Hopefully that call me may maybe a video won't auto start when you reopen Safari. <laughs> there we go. Um, Oh yeah, I told you about the human sympathetic thing about by using those. Uh, it's very important that those uh, markers that include, include the curly braces and the square braces mm -hmm. and and the and the angle braces that those are not delimiters. Those are not ever used to actually decide on what the end of the data is. Right. They only use as markers to uh, inform, and they are. I mean, they have to match. But other than that, they're thus used to inform the type of the data there. But um, yeah, the, the, probably the 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 like this isn't too interesting. I would say this isn't too interesting format itself. I would say probably the most interesting thing here is that it is specifically untyped. 
that it does not try to categorize like ASN.1 or uh, PLIS. It does not try to, I should, the XML PLIS, I should say. It does not try to uh, say that this is a string, that this is integer, this is a float. It just chunks of data. And because it's sports dictionaries, usually it's obvious. Like if you have four bytes and the thing is called primary key, you, pro you pretty much can determine that's probably going to be an unsigned integer. So it's specifically untyped, but I would say that's probably the, the only most controversial thing about it. Well, so someone might say, well, I'll start my format with this, but then I'll expect more specific data out of it for, you know, the particular file format that I'm trying to do or particular uh, way of uh, sending, sending particular data over the wire, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's pretty much And it. I believe this is your second uh, episode where you're introducing something as part of it, right? Weren't you introducing the uh, the error handling code? Yeah, yeah. In the previous yeah, episode? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And I actually came very close to uh, announcing another project in the, um, the asynchronous show, but we ran really long on that one. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we um, cut that one down. So now is the stuff that you've done so far, did your tweet have that information, where to go to look at it, or...? Oh uh, yeah, so it's it's on GitHub. Just uh, go to okay. GitHub.com/wrench/lich, and uh, you'll be mm -hmm. there. And uh, we'll spell wrench at the end of the episode, but which here being L I C H for people who are not as familiar with the D and D monster as as I am. <laughs> exactly. All right, cool. Um, so yeah, so I look forward to um, to what people think, and also to what you'll be using it for, because I'm assuming that will come to light eventually. And it will. It will. Yeah, cool. Mm -hmm. And this may be our, our actually shortest episode ever. So Great. let me wrap up then. Um, so you can visit our website at edgecasesshow.com, all one word, for show notes, a link to our podcast on iTunes, and more. And you can find us individually on Twitter, me, Apontius, A-P-O-N-T-I-O-U-S, and Wolf, his last name, Wrench. That's the word rent, R-A-N-T, plus Z, plus S-C-H. So we'll see you next time.